the Truth News Network. What really is the price of freedom? Do you know? Is it the fight to let men into women's bathrooms? The fight to groom children into an agenda in the schools? Or is it the fight to stifle dissent and so-called misinformation? Truth is, it's none of those things. If you'd like to see it, the price of freedom is visible and on display at your local VA hospital. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, and your master of fact is Dan Newman. Probably more visible this week is look at what happened on 9-11 up in the Big Apple. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. And we have a busy, busy day in store for you. And so what are we going to do up front? How about relax a little bit with Michael Franks? Who's Michael Franks? One of my all-time favorite artists. His specialty is smooth jazz. Here's one of his big hits. We'll be right back. Everyone knows that the words of a love song I seldom if ever true Now it's a periscope And I really hope it's you Shades of blue It's multiple No But I really hope It's you
song kind of just doesn't want to end, does it? It's kind of one of those songs you don't want to end. Good morning, everybody. We start the show today with Michael Franks, and I'm asked often, why do you play a song at the beginning of the show? Well, I'll just be honest with you, because I want to. (laughs) I think it's kind of a mood setter. You know what I'm talking about. You get in a mood, you want to get out of a mood and change it somewhat. Music's pretty good at doing that. I think music's kind of always been a, a, a language that many people, when they figure out exactly what it is and how to use it and start using it, they find out, you know, can be some good medicine. Well, I think you'll agree with me today when I tell you I believe it's a good time for us to find some medicine. Here's what I'm struggling with at TNN Live. I don't struggle with many things because we go with the flow. I'm struggling with the fact that we are still, let's see, we're in September. We've got October, November. we got two months left in this year, and then a whole year, 12 more months, before we have an election. 14 months, a year and two months. And we are so embroiled in all types of insanity at every level in government. I don't know of a single part of our government, our federal government, that is just flowing along and everything's cool. You know, we don't have to worry about it. Has there been a time in your life that you can remember when the United States of America went through such a period where pretty calm, things all seem to be worked out and everybody's getting along, our economy's good, we're not worried about a war, our borders are closed and everybody's abiding by illegal immigration rules. Do you remember a time like that? I'm 70 years old. I got active, at least watching, political happenings back in the early 60s, about 64, 65, when I had 10 years old. And it was principally because of John F. Kennedy. I grew up in South Louisiana, very Catholic part of the country. And so I was cognizant of the fact that John F. Kennedy was a devout Catholic. That part of the country, everybody loved JFK. As a matter of fact, my stepfather, my stepfather, who was known all around Lafayette, Louisiana, as Papa Joe, he owned the biggest bakery there. He started it from scratch when he was a kid. He was quite a bit older than my mother. And I've got a picture on my studio mantle of him with John F. Kennedy, then president with his arm around Papa Joe, my stepfather. Papa Joe was his Louisiana campaign chairman. So that part of the world, that time in the world, was pretty important to us. And I began to pay attention to politics. Do you know if JFK was alive today, he would be a MAGA extremist by this Democrat Party's characterization. If you go back and read the, you can do it, just Google it, John F. Kennedy's platform as president, and read the things that he pushed and supported, it will blow your mind. That's how far the Democrat Party has pushed this nation. We are looking at a Democrat Party in America that by definition, if you go back and look 
at what communism was in the late 50s, early 60s, it almost looks like today's Democrat Party. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm not saying that they're a bunch of communists or anything like that. Here's the point I'm making, and I mentioned this yesterday. I'm in the middle of completing a story, maybe the most important story we ever published at truthnewsnet.org. It's who is really attacking democracy in the nation. And in it, I don't just make allegations. I bring specific examples. Every one of these hardcore leftists that get up and they bash Donald Trump because he wants to be an authoritarian, he wants to be a dictator, he's one of those kind of people, if we have him around, he's going to destroy democracy. There's not one Trump policy, not one, and I defy you to call me, I'll put you immediately on the air and you tell me one, a Trump policy, something Trump implemented or supported, that is anti-democratic. Now, what does that mean? It means facts don't matter. They'll build a narrative. They'll build an anthill where there wasn't any ants initially. And then they'll fill the anthill up with ants. They'll go find some and transplant them and put them in the anthill that they built. If they think it fits their purpose, that's the nation we live in. Those are the things we need to be afraid of. Just a little bit this morning, you're going to hear Congressman Mike Johnson, not live on the show. He will be later this week, I'm told. But Congressman Mike Johnson on Fox News yesterday morning, and he got into it with FBI Director Christopher Wray. I know that surprises you. It surprises a lot of people. But it's about hardcore leftist policies and actions by our Department of Justice at every level. Starts with the Attorney General, filters downstream, and it is really, really bad. You don't need to do name-calling to get all of the things out to the people that you're around. You don't need to call out anybody by name. They know. They listen. They see. They hear. And it gets worse and worse and worse. You remember all the crud we went through last year about social media and what they were doing during the pandemic? Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, they were censoring posts, blocking accounts, same thing on Twitter. Oh, we went through all that turmoil. All these mega giants came before committee hearings in Congress and they were blasted and They were told, you get your stuff together or the federal government is going to pull its support from you. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We're not going to do it anymore. Thank you for giving us a second chance. They're already doing it for the 2024 election. Same crap over and over again with impunity. They don't care. They're private corporations And the only people in the federal government that have the power and authority to do anything are those who are elected. Now, what does that mean? Who writes big checks from Facebook and Twitter and Google and Microsoft? Who writes big campaign checks? You know who. It's the same people that would have to weigh in 
to hold these people, big social giant, all their facts up at the top that they spew that are lies, we must hold each other accountable for what we do. And for that matter, for what we don't do, that we should do. Instead of standing up on a hill and screaming and hollering, instead of doing that, pointing fingers, trying to see how loud we can get, be louder than them that are hollering back at us. Hollering. <laughs> I guess that's a Southern term. Facts are all that matter. It's what we're going to do, digging in on facts today. And you're going to hear from Congressman Mike Johnson in just a few minutes. But before he comes in to talk to us about Christopher Ray and uh, a hearing fight that he got into with Congressman Johnson, I want to look at New York for just a second, New York City specifically. I don't know about you, but I love the Big Apple. Some of my favorite restaurants on earth are there. I love, I've been to a, I don't even know how many Broadway musicals. I love Broadway. I love Times Square. I like to stay in the proximity of Times Square because there's so much activity around there and so many things to see. There's a great wine bar right there. It's been there forever, right off Times Square. I'm sure my wife's listening and she'll ask this when she comes home today. How do you know about that wine bar? Well, Marianne, I've been to New York quite a few times without you, as everybody knows. That was the headquarters of the Arena Football League. And uh, we owned a team in New Orleans, the New Orleans Voodoo in the Arena Football League. And I, I was chairman of the board. And we went up there for board meetings. And I found a lot of new places. Now, she has been there often with me. And we find places together. In fact, right off Times Square is my favorite barbecue restaurant in the world. That'll blow your mind. New York City, Manhattan. You live in the South. You live in Louisiana and you found better barbecue somewhere else. Yeah, Virgil's Barbecue. Right off Times Square in Manhattan. I love to go to New York. And it's not just about food. The culture. Now, in honesty, I haven't been up there since the pandemic started. I know things have changed. I know under Mayor Eric Adams, things are not really good right now. And I know there's a ton of pontification, politicization that goes on there every day. And unless somebody begins to hold the wrongdoers accountable, nothing's going to change. I have a saying here that a lot of people in this area, a lot of people that listen to TNN Live have taken it, and I hear them using it all the time now. What is that saying? Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Now, where did you get that, Dan? I got it from a guy named Smotherman. Steve Smotherman. And guess what? You're going to hear Steve Mother, Smotherman on live with us Friday morning. He pastors the largest church in New Mexico. He is a strong conservative. He's on all kinds of media in New Mexico all the time. In fact, there's a, uh, a not conservative talk show 
a leftist talk show on radio live every morning in uh, Albuquerque. And guess who their favorite guest is to have on their show? Steve Smotherman. He's going to be here with us. He said that phrase as he spoke at a men's conference I was attending. And I've known Steve for a few years before that. But when he said it, when he was speaking, it just went right to my bone marrow because it's so true. If you've got bad circumstances in your life, you may not be able to control it all, all the elements that go into all that kind of stuff, but there usually and almost always are some things within those issues that you can manipulate, you can change, at least the part that is in your specific purview. Well, if you want anything in that set of circumstances to change, none of it's going to change until you at least change the things that you can change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I do know this. Everybody that reads our stories, you're familiar with truthnewsnet.org, and you listen to TNN Live, maybe not every day, but often. You know how we feel about all of the issues. You know exactly how we feel. And we're adamant that things are not going in the best direction for the American people that they could be going, and certainly not going in a good place, not headed for a good place. And unless we the people hold those that we've elected to go to Washington, or if you're in a city, to go to City Hall and represent you and the things that you feel about life in your city, your state, your nation, and get them to make hard commitments, not about what they think, but about what they, within the power they have in their political positions, will do to change this stuff unless we hold them accountable Nothing changes if nothing changes. Just for a second, let's talk about Eric Adams. He came out of the Manhattan police force, a lifer there. And boy, when he campaigned, he told everybody all those great changes he was going to do, enforcing the rule of law that his predecessor refused to, hold people accountable, yada, yada, yada. And he did nothing, none of that. In fact, he went hard left the other way. So what's a big issue in Manhattan right now? There are a bunch. There always are in a city that size. But the big one, and who would think it would be big for New York, New York, illegal immigration? There's no border anywhere close. Well, they're, you know, a couple of hundred miles north of there. There's that border with Canada, but nobody's fighting to get across the border of Canada to get into the U.S. But all of these Central American illegals are showing up in Manhattan. Now, isn't that where they're supposed to go? The leadership in Manhattan, Mayor Eric Adams' predecessor, made a huge international statement when he declared demonstrably, New York City is now formally and legally a sanctuary city. 
we reach out to people around the world that need a place to go where they're going to be taken care of, accepted with all their differences. That's us. That's Manhattan. And boy, when the rubber hits the road, reality sets in and people sing slightly different songs. During an interview with CBS New York yesterday, Mayor Adams stated that there are people who would exploit even this migrant issue coming through our southern border. They say this, they see this as an opportunity to come here and harm our country, to harm the U.S., and that our border policy needs to keep in mind that everyone that attempts to enter our country is not coming here because they believe in America. Some are coming because they want to harm America. Very appropriate to say that. Yesterday on the 22nd anniversary of the falling Twin Towers in southern Manhattan that we all watched on television. Adams said we still have to be concerned about terrorism, adding, quote, well, the term sleeper cells, that is very important. There are those out there who want to hurt us, feel comfortable and feel as though we don't have enemies that want to hurt our way of life. And we have to be concerned on many levels. Trust me, he said, there are those who would exploit even this migrant issue coming through our southern border. They see this as an opportunity to come here and harm our country. We must have vetting in place. Our combination of all of our law enforcement and intel agencies must continue to look at information, at data, We cannot get comfortable and believe this is going to go away. Now, why did I use this story to start the show? Because of that last paragraph, Eric Adams said this, they, being terrorists or people that want to harm the country, they see this as an opportunity to come here and harm our country. We must have vetting in place. Our combination of all of our law enforcement and intelligence agencies must continue to look at information, data. We cannot get comfortable and believe that is going to go away. So, Mr. Mayor, let me ask you a question. And if somebody out there, we have a lot of people from Manhattan, New Jersey, Connecticut that listen to this show. Any of you that have direct contact with the mayor, why don't you tell him that I'm asking him this question right now on air. It's worldwide. 192 countries get this signal live. Mayor Adams, you made it very clear the evil in people that are out there and what they see and think and want to do when they get here. And you said, quote, we cannot get comfortable and believe that that evil is just going to go away. Mr. Mayor, what do you want us to do? And what are you doing in your sanctuary city to hold all lawbreakers accountable for breaking the laws of Manhattan, New York, and the United States of America? 
Unless and until we the people force our leaders at every level to answer those questions and then to act on them, nothing changes if nothing changes. I think I made the point. Top of the show, I told you, we talked about Mike Johnson. He'll be here sometime later in the week. We hope it's Tuesday. His uh, scheduler called me over the weekend and said, hey, Mike wants to come back on this week. I told her, any day, anytime he wants to come on, just give us a call. And so I'm sure we'll talk about this when he gets here. But he's made a lot of noise. He is the number four political leader in the Republican Party in the House of Representatives. So you see him all the time. He's on all the news agencies. He's out there speaking. Very few people know this. I'm going to tell you a secret about him. For those of you that know him in this area, Shreveport, Northwest Louisiana, tell him I said this. But he was a DJ, a rock and roll DJ back when he was much younger in Shreveport, Louisiana. So when he talks, he knows how to talk in media. He knows how to make intelligent conversation. After his stint, I guess being part-time worker, playing on the radio, he went to college, became a, a great attorney, constitutional specialist. He's an expert. And of course, he's been in the House of Representatives now for eight years, I think. So he knows what he's doing. But he got after FBI Director Christopher Wray. And instead of me tell you about it, I'm going to let you listen to it. The FBI made the social media platforms pull that information off the Internet if it came from conservative sources. They, they did this under the guise that it was disinformation. Your star witness said in the litigation, Elvis Chan, who's in charge of this, said they do it on the basis of dif- disinformation. The court f- has found that, and Elvis Chan testified under oath in charge of this for you. He said 50%. He had a 50% success rate. I'm not sure that's a correct characterization. Comes of right out of the opinion. You should read it. What I, of, of his testimony. But what I would say is the FBI is not in the business of moderating content. Okay. FBI Director Christopher Wray responding to allegations from our next guest at the Bureau encouraged social media to censor conservative viewpoints. Mike Johnson, Republican in Louisiana, uh, you were asking the questions. Good morning to you today. We are watching here in New York. Here is how he answered part of your query. Watch here. I would disagree with your characterization of the FBI and certainly your description of my own approach. Uh, the idea that I'm biased against conservatives uh, seems somewhat insane to me, uh, given my own personal background. Somewhat insane was the answer. A lot of your questions have to do with credibility, right, in the FBI and trust. That was what you were driving at in part. Were you satisfied? Not at all. It's so frustrating even to hear and see these clips again. Uh, It's happened yesterday morning. Director Ray, as you've seen, was very evasive. He was defiant. He presented information to our committee yesterday that is demonstrably untrue. In one of those exchanges there, he claimed and argued with me that they were not pulling down information, censoring and silencing so-called election disinformation before the 2020 election. It's it's just not true. The lawsuit says that a 155-page court opinion that came out by a federal judge on July 4th says that the evidence shows that the FBI was pulling down the speech of American citizens. They made no attempt at all to distinguish between foreign influence and Americans. And so what the court said is that this result had the desired effect. Millions of free speech protected postings 
of, of conservatives across the country were pulled off the internet because some FBI agent determined that they didn't like that message. It, it's, it's absolutely staggering and frightening. And the court said, by the way, this is arguably the most massive attack on free speech in United States history. Yes, yeah, so, so that was the judge down, I believe, in Louisiana, or is it Texas? Right. Who yeah, said that Louisiana. on the 4th yeah. of July. Too much. Uh, the, the administration, I think, is probably very frustrated with it. But a lot of the censorship, too, was not just coming from the FBI, but from the White House itself, from HHS and other places. Is that the type of question that you would be putting to them, too, if you get a chance? Absolutely, and we will. And in our oversight responsibility, we have lots of uh, answers to gather from the administration because the injunction that the court handed down July 4th covers the White House, the Department of Justice, uh, the FBI, but also many other federal agencies that have been engaged in what is now being called the... Um, the, the industrial complex of censorship here, that they, they have a whole-of-government approach to censoring viewpoints that they disagree with. And, and that's happened over and over mm -hmm. and over again. They were intending to continue it until the court issued the injunction. Well, you, it, it's, you, the FBI is out of control. You, you, had, I, I mean, you, you had the man, I mean, other than Merrick Garland, probably the guy in Washington you wanted to question. And I, I, Dana and I sit through a lot of these hearings, and frankly, it's frustrating for us because the, the window is so short. It's five minutes. Right. Uh, and so half the time you get a speech and then perhaps one question in. Uh, Republican strategy yesterday. Did you strategize with your colleagues on the line of questioning for that hearing? We did. We, we had a meeting the night before. The members, Republican members on the committee, uh, worked out the line of questions that they had. Here's the challenge, Bill. It's a target-rich environment. The FBI is involved in so many scandals currently that people have lost count. There's so much that our constituents are demanding answers to. We know they were labeling concerned parents at school board meetings as, as domestic terrorists. They were, they were targeting uh, pro-life Catholics, conservative Catholics as extremists. They were raiding the homes of political opponents. The Durham report says that the FBI failed in its critical mission of strict fidelity to the law, and now you have a 155-page federal court opinion saying they're engaging in the biggest cover-up, the, the biggest assault on free speech since the founding of our country. This FBI, at least at the top, its leadership is broken, and, and we've got to have accountability. Do you support cutting funding to the FBI? We, we have uh, one really important power in the House and, and in Congress, and that's the power of the purse. They, they want a $4 billion new headquarters, a, a glittery new building to work in. I don't think they deserve that. If they can't uh, maintain and, and uphold the basic and most fundamental constitutional rights of the people that they're supposed to be protecting and serving. This is serious business. We can't uh, kick anybody out of office here. We could impeach someone, but you know what that involves. This is an executive branch. The president has control over who's serves in these positions, but if the leadership is broken, that is one way that we can bring accountability, and we're very serious about it. Last question, just need a quick answer. Where do you go from here based on what you learned yesterday, or maybe what, what you didn't learn? Well, we have to have reform. We have to have serious reform at the FBI. It's, it's the most important and largest law enforcement agency in the country. It has a critical mission, but if the leadership is broken, it cannot do that. They're, they're being they're being weaponized. The whole Department of Justice is under Merrick Garland's leadership, and we're going to continue this, putting the information out for the American people so they can draw their own conclusions okay. about it as we do. All right, Mike Johnson, thank you for your time, sir. Republican of Louisiana, thank you. You know what's insane is that we're actually having the same conversations again that we already had back in the pandemic, the censorship, the untruthfulness, what Meta was doing on Facebook and what was happening in Twitter and blocking accounts, blocking posts. 
putting out misinformation. We went through all of the committee hearings in Congress, and everybody said, we're going to clean everything up. And then we find this out. Meta, Meta owned Instagram. You know that. They own Instagram. They own Facebook. They started their own alternative, they call it, to Twitter. And it's titled Threads. Threads. So Thread is now, we find out, their censoring post. This is unbelievable. The Washington Post is actually reporting this. And they're not a very conservative news outlet. I think everybody will agree. So here's what WAPO said yesterday. Meta acknowledged in a statement to the Washington Post that Threads, their new answer to Twitter, is intentionally blocking the search items, the search terms, and said that other terms are being blocked, but the company declined to provide a list. A search by the Post discovered the words sex, nude, gore, G-O-R-E, porn, coronavirus, vaccines, and vaccination are also among blocked words. Here's a quote. The search functionality temporarily doesn't provide results for keywords that may show potentially sensitive content. The statement said, adding that the company will add search functionality for terms only once we are confident in the quality of the results. The quality of the results. Lucky Tran. (laughs) I'm not even going to speculate. That's a person's name. Lucky Tran, Director of Science Communication at Columbia, discovered this himself when he attempted to use threads to seek out research related to COVID, something he says he does every day. I was excited by search on threads, he said. When I typed in COVID, I came up with zero search results. Rather than deal with messy disputes over what's allowed and not allowed with regards to coronavirus-related discussion and perhaps avoid having to disclose more of its internal communications, many of which were the result of requests related to coronavirus censorship, it appears Meta has decided to block searches for any kind of discussion on the topic COVID. In lieu of the real search results, users who search for COVID on threads are met with a pop-up linking them to the website of the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that bastion of medical integrity that we all just came to know and love, right? (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. Our government that works for us has given Meta, and now their new social giant, Threads, a blank check. And what do you mean, Dan, a blank check? Well, if you got a problem with Threads, anything that they post there, we have indemnified, we the people, our representatives in Congress, have given them a blank check. You sue Threads, guess who you're going to have to sue? the federal government who stands behind these social media giants through a piece of legislation that they passed years ago. 
In other words, the government's going to pay for everything, which they tell us that's what they're there for. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is like a fairy tale. But you're not going to wake up and it's going to be gone. It's going to be there tomorrow, and it's going to be there until we the people put up enough hoo-ha and tell them we're tired of this mess, we're tired of being censored, we're tired of the violations of our Federal Amendment, First Amendment rights. You guys fix this thing. And the only reason it hasn't already been done, Mike Johnson will tell you, it's because threads, meta, X, Twitter, Google, they all pay out the wazoo in campaign contributions to the same people that gave them that indemnification that you and I are having to pay for. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day? Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. It's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bacon with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Hey, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee. Signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. Again, I apologize for what happened to us about 15 minutes ago. Something electronic went crazy between us and our distribution satellite up in uh, the Northwest, actually out of Seattle, and we had a glitch we couldn't fix, but we quickly got it fixed looking, scanning at the IP addresses of people that log into the show, all the pages of the IP addresses, they don't give a location specific. They give a country that you and others like you are listening from. And uh, I went back and made sure. It looks like most everybody either hung in there or signed back on. We've got a listener, a group of listeners, actually, from the country of Mold. 
Moldova. Moldova. I've heard of the country. I really don't know exactly where it is other than it's in Eastern Europe and it's a landlocked country. Uh, It's next door on the southwest side to Ukraine. And I want to say hello and everybody that is listening in from that part of the world. We have our usual pockets of big support in uh, New Zealand and Australia, all the parts of Europe. We have a big, big group of people that have listened from the beginning of this show every day from Switzerland. It's interesting how people find out about shows, things online. The Internet has just made a massive change in the way that people live their lives. And in some cases, that's not so good. (laughs) But in this case, it really is. Let me tell you about some news that came out overnight that shocked me. I couldn't believe it. A huge deposit of lithium, lithium, which is a critical piece of property elements that are used in electric vehicle production. And it's necessary. Heretofore, the only place we thought there were some really big deposits of lithium on the planet were controlled all by China. A deposit of lithium recently discovered along the Nevada-Oregon border may be on the world's largest, having potentially huge implications for our transition if we're ever going to make it. And the book's still out on that. But anyway, towards at least partial use of electric vehicles. Volcanologists and geologists from Lithium Americas Corporation, GNS Science, and Oregon State University reported their findings in a paper for Science Advances published the last day of August. The deposit exists in the McDermott Caldera, a caldera approximately 28 miles long, 22 miles wide. Think about that. That's a lot of territory. It's believed that the caldera contains around 20 to 40 million metric tons of lithium, a figure that would dwarf deposits in Chile and Australia. Which, by the way, those deposits are controlled almost totally by China. Belgian geologist Anouk Borst told Chemistry World that the findings could change the dynamics of lithium globally in terms of price, security of supply, and, of course, geopolitics. Geopolitical strategist, and we've got to get into the politics, right? A guy named Peter Zihan said that the geology appears promising, but cautioned that there hasn't been significant prospecting in the area. Obviously worthy of exploration, he said. Definitely not worth changing anyone's midterm plans yet. He said, arguing that building up processing infrastructure should be the number one priority, of course. Regardless of where we get ore from, we know we're going to have to be able to process lithium ore and to concentrate to make lithium metal and batteries and so on and so forth. The researcher's paper comes as automakers threatened by possible shortages of lithium for those EV batteries or racing to lock up supplies. Any shortfall in lithium would disrupt plans to ramp up sales to tens of millions of EVs a year. The race for lithium has also fueled political conflict, particularly with 
who else, but China, and complaints about the environmental cost of getting lithium out of the ground. Globally, lithium output is on track to triple over the next 10 years, but demand for electric SUVs, sports cars, and sedans threatens to exceed their supply. Each battery requires about 17 pounds of lithium, plus cobalt, plus nickel, and even some other metals. But isn't it interesting? China's had the market cornered, or at least we've been told for years now. Let me give you another little tidbit. You remember a couple of months ago when I did our show every day from Zimbabwe in Africa? I was over there as part of a group. I was invited over there, and it's a group that has put together a huge group of African indigenous tribe leaders. Africa, and you may not know this, but Africa has more in natural resources underground on the continent of Africa from top to bottom in combination than the rest of the world put together. There's more oil and gas there. There's more diamonds. There's more gold. There's more lithium. Rhodium. R-H-O-D-I-U-M, which is in every catalytic converter on every vehicle on the planet. It exists totally in Africa. So I'm part of this group that has developed an understanding and agreement with these indigenous nations who have been recognized to own these nations. Indigenous nations of indigenous people, in other words, natives, It has been legally determined and proven that they own all the resources that I just talked to you about. And through centuries, people come from other countries. There's no money in Africa to speak of to be able to develop any of this infrastructure stuff. So people come from other countries. They cut these deals and promise this and promise that. They rob all this from the African people, and then they're gone. And so the African people are left hanging dry. You know what I mean. And so this group has been put together, was actually, it it was put together almost 30 years ago and developed this. And it is to bring the ability to develop infrastructure from different nations around the world, different private corporations, big not-for-profits, to put the resources in place to help by getting these resources that are underground in large part over there, getting them to market. And one of those is lithium. I thought that was kind of interesting. When there's good news out there, we like to jump on it because there just hasn't been a whole lot of uh, (laughs) good news out there to speak of. I told you Steve Smotherland's going to be on my show on Friday. I think uh, most of you were here before we had that glitch that took us off the air for a couple of minutes. Steve Smotherman pastors the largest church in the state of New Mexico, and he is a conservative, very conservative political activist in the state of New Mexico. And he has this little deal going on publicly. Call it a a struggle. Call it... um, negativity in a lot of places on air with the governor of New Mexico who just recently, in fact this week, she just stuck her finger in the eye of the Second Amendment about 
Americans having a legal right to own and possess self-defense arms. And she said, that's not going to be so in New Mexico. Well, Steve Smotherwin will be on to give us his two cents Friday. I think it'll be in our first hour. I'll get you that information. In fact, uh, during the show today, I got a phone call. I noticed it was from his assistant to firm up the exact time, but you're going to want to make sure you're here to hear Steve Smotherman give us his take on all of that. But I wanted you to get the facts right now on what the New Mexico governor has done. This New Mexico uh, governor who is very upset because there's been a rash of shootings in New New Mexico. Um, I get it. It upsets all of us and including one involving an 11-year-old boy who uh, appears to have been killed during the midst of some sort of, I don't know if it was gang violence, but it was a road rage incident where I'll just, because none of the news reports is talking about what happened. It was driving me nuts as a mother. Uh, 11-year-old boy, uh, he was, his family was leaving a baseball stadium after a, after a game, road rage incident. I was certainly not suggesting he was in a gang. I'm like wondering who would have, who unleashed this hell on him. Were they in a gang or whether, what, what would they do? Because they made um, the, the car in which the child was riding made a U-turn in front of the suspect's vehicle. And then that suspect got out and fired 17 shots at the family's car. I mean, that's just absolute lunacy. The boy was killed and there hasn't yet been an arrest. Absolutely awful. It's not the only incident in New Mexico. But this this Democratic governor, <laughs> as horrified as she was, I would submit had absolutely no right to do what she did, which was essentially to suspend the U.S. Constitution, including the Second Amendment, because she says it's an emergency and she really, really doesn't want the guns in New Mexico, concealed carry or open carry. It's any gun unless you're a law enforcement officer or security officer. So people who are legitimate gun owners and have licenses to carry guns in New Mexico are now under her emergency order, no longer allowed to carry them um, inside their cars, inside their you know pants, inside their homes potentially. Um, here's how she put it when she was being pressed by a reporter on whether this was okay to do. You took an oath to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional to say you cannot exercise your your carry license? With one exception, and that is if there's an emergency, and I've declared an emergency for a temporary amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. There are restrictions on free speech. There are restrictions on my freedoms. So just two things there, Alan, whether she has the right to do this because, you know, no constitutional right is absolute. And the second admission that she doesn't see her oath of office as absolute. Well, obviously, she is doing something that many people will approve of. If I were at the Constitutional Convention or the Bill of Rights Convention, I would not have voted for the Second Amendment. I'm not in favor of there being a constitutional right to bear arms. We're one of the very few countries in the world that have that, but it's in the Constitution. And you can't suspend the First Amendment or the Second Amendment because of emergencies. We tried to do that in the past during the Second World War, they suspended the right of Japanese Americans to live on the West Coast and put them in detention centers. Uh, That has come to be understood as one of the worst 
Supreme Court decisions um, ever. Uh, the Constitution is designed for emergency times, for difficult times. And as much as I don't myself like the right to bear arms, uh, I completely support the Constitution as written and, 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 and would very firmly argue that she has no right to suspend it. She has the right to seek a constitutional amendment. You know, you can interpret the Second Amendment. And after all, it does say it starts with uh, a, a statement about the, the need for militias, uh, well-regulated militias. You can make the argument that uh, guns can be well-regulated under the Second Amendment. That argument is made in the Supreme Court. But you cannot simply suspend completely the right any more than you could suspend the right of freedom of speech. She's right that freedom of speech is not absolute, but no governor can say there's an emergency. We now suspend all of free speech rights. We close newspapers. We close the media. That's what they do in repressive regimes. So if you, if you suspend the Second Amendment today, you then have the power to suspend the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, and the Fifth Amendment. And this was all part of the same thing. This was part of the effort to try to use the Constitution in a manipulative way to get your policy results you want, whether it's to get guns off the street, which is desirable, whether it's to stop Donald Trump from running, which many people would find desirable, whether it's detaining 110,000 American citizens of Japanese origin in detention centers. None of them are permissible under the Constitution. Constitution was designed for dangerous times. That's why it's lasted longer than any Constitution in the history of the world. And it's under attack largely from the left today. I grew up today during, I grew up during McCarthyism when it was under attack by the right. That's why I'm writing a new book actually called The New McCarthyism, why the woke version is even more dangerous than the original version because it represents the future. The people who are calling for these suspensions of the Constitution are the young people who will become our leaders in the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's why it's so I, dangerous. There's so much in what you just heard. Alan Dershowitz, he is a constitutional lawyer, a uh, Harvard guy, and he's learned, very educated, but he does tend to, as I guess everybody does, he has his opinions, and when it's not in black and white, sometimes people have different opinions about the same things. I'm not so sure about some of his legal opinions that he's very demonstratively made it clear this is the way it's supposed to be. But the whole point is, and we'll get into this with Pastor Smotherman, on Friday when he comes on the show with us, the whole point is, can one person thumb their nose at the U.S. Constitution. And I don't care what their power is, president, governor, mayor, police chief, attorney general, not one person has a right to change anything that's written in the U.S. Constitution. And if someone wants to argue that point, I'll be glad to hear what you have to say about it. But circumstances are required to be part of the laws in the Constitution, the verbiage in the Constitution, when decisions are made, especially to abridge any of those provisions that were put in the Constitution by our forefathers. And yes, there's a way to change those things. They're called amendments, and there's a process to amend the Constitution. All of that are inside 
the United States Congress uh, Constitution, which makes it the longest-lasting, greatest, most complete governing structure document in world history. Experts don't disagree with that. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They toasted toasted six-month-old-age cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. Best genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is... This is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax, extra, drinks, excludes, freezes. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. You know, speaking about the U.S. Constitution and the provisions that are in the Constitution, picking the members of the Supreme Court, that process is in in great detail in the U.S. Constitution. And I thought while we were on this topic, you might want to know who our candidates, at least our Republican candidates for president, who they say they would consider appointing to replace any retiring or dying Supreme Court justice that is currently on the bench. Kind of give you an idea of who they feel might be good replacements and why. So let me give you who they think, individually who they think. Republican Utah Senator Mike Lee, George Washington University Law Professor Jonathan Turley, and Fifth Circuit Judge Kyle Duncan or among the individuals that the 2024 candidates on the Republican side told the Daily Caller News that they would consider as potential Supreme Court nominees. Several other Republican presidential candidates, they refrained from listing specific potential nominees, but they pointed to current and former justices as models for whom they might tap if they were elected president. My sole criterion was to select candidates with an unwavering commitment to an originalist understanding of the U.S. Constitution, who also understand the unique threats to liberty in the 21st century, including lurking state action. That came from businessman Vivek Ramaswamy. Several of these candidates revealed 
that, uh, you know, we would kind of like to keep that close to our vest right now. Former President Trump's decision to release a list of potential court nominees in the lead up to the 2016 election was well-received by conservatives and ultimately led to him nominating three new justices while he was in the White House, an achievement Trump has touted on the campaign trail. And all three of them have done a great job keeping the Constitution intact and not letting extremists rip it apart. Some Republican hopefuls have named individuals like GOP Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, Jonathan Turley, who we mentioned just a little bit ago, and Ramaswamy released a list in July of nine potential contenders he'd nominate as president, focusing on those with that originalist constitutional philosophy. Cruz and Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah were among the bunch, as well as Fifth Circuit Judge James Ho, Ninth Circuit Judge Lawrence Van Dyke, Eleventh Circuit Judge Lisa Branch, Third City, excuse me, Third Circuit Judge Thomas Hardiman, D.C. Circuit Judge Justin Walker, Sixth Circuit Judge John Bush, and former George W. Bush Administration Solicitor General Paul Clement. Ramaswamy's list had a few crossovers with Trump's in 2016, 2017, and 2020 that include Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Ho, Van Dyke, Clement, and Hardiman. Former Texas Rep. Will Hurd plans on nominating those with an originalist interpretation of the Constitution, like Neil Gorsuch. Individuals like Senator Lee of Utah and Wallace B. Jefferson, the former Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court, would be examples of the kinds of people I would evaluate, said Hurd. The benefit of having a GOP in office is the ability to nominate Supreme Court justices. That's why we need to nominate someone who can beat Joe Biden. So this goes on and on. This I, thought, I found this to be very interesting. I like to get in the heads of people that are going to be in government just to see what their thinking is when they make these big decisions. Conservative radio personality Larry Elder, he revealed a list of names that he's eyeing for potential court justices, Supreme Court, including former Trump attorney John Eastman, California Supreme Court Justice Janice Rogers Brown, George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, Judge Kyle Duncan, Fifth Circuit, University of California at Berkeley Law Professor John Yu and Attorney Peter Carsonow. A spokesperson for Senator Tim Scott did not list specific names but gave insight into the criteria picks would need to meet for Tim Scott as president. They said he would nominate those that have judicial ideologies in line with or similar to Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. Ron DeSantis has mentioned the possibility that the next president would need to find replacements for Justices Thomas, Alito, and Sonia Sotomayor, as well as Chief Justice John Roberts, and how that could significantly influence the ideology of the court. Think about that. If we lost in one term of a president, Thomas, Alito, and John Roberts, 
oh my gosh, if it was a Democrat president, our court would flip from where it is right now. You want somebody that understands the proper role of the court, that's going to apply the law and the Constitution as it's written and originally understood, not as they would like for it to mean, and no legislating from the bench. That's what DeSantis said on July 6th. I think what separates the great justices from justices who may not reach that level is do you have the fortitude and the backbone to rule the way the Constitution demands, regardless of how that's going to be received by the elite media, by law professorate, by lawyers. Mike Pence rolled out a list of executive actions he would take on day one as president, and on that list he included nominating criteria for Supreme Court justices, appoint the most conservative cabinet and judiciary ever assembled, his plan reads. As President Pence assembles his cabinet, he will make it his top priority to promote only individuals who oppose abortion and child sex reassignment. Chris Christie's campaign forwarded recent remarks he made to radio personality Hugh Hewitt when asked whether he'll be releasing a list of potential nominees, as Trump did in 2016. Christie said he would not. But he did suggest he'd look at Justices Alito and Scalia as examples of who he'd nominate. You know who started this whole thing? (laughs) And I'm going to say it. And a lot of people are going to shake their heads, can't believing that he did it. Donald Trump started this. I mean, it's a big deal when there is an opening, a vacancy, for whatever reason or reasons, on the Supreme Court. That group of men and women make some of the absolutely most important decisions for every American. Every case that they come out with a rendering, a verdict, a definition of what it really means, an action that must be taken, it changes the lives of every American. And there are so many people in this world today, in this nation, that are grasping a hold of the U.S. Constitution and trying to use it for their specific political purposes. And in many cases, they try to revise what the true meaning of it is. Not just a whole amendment, but little segments, groups of words. Well, I think when they pin this, this is what they meant. If you wonder what category I fall in regarding the Supreme Court, I'm an originalist. I don't trust people today who make a lot of their decisions, people in government who make a lot of their decisions based upon the political standing that they have and what they believe or their political party believes rather than just sticking with the original language that is in the laws that were written. It can't be much simpler than that. It just can't be. Wow. We have so many things going on around us. And it is really important. It's really important. 
that we pay attention to them all. This election coming up in 2024, I have no idea who's going to end up on the ballot. I don't think anybody does. I really don't. We've never been in this situation in U.S. history. Never have. We haven't seen this. We have no idea what's going on other than we absolutely know the Department of Justice has totally weaponized itself against political opponents of those who ascribe to the beliefs of the people at the top of the Department of Justice. In other words, Democrats. (laughs) Democrats, they hate the originalist mantra of those that want the Supreme Court to say what the laws and the Constitution say and to keep it right there. That's why they're called originalists. Democrats, on the other hand, they want anybody and everybody that's involved in governing to be able to walk outside every morning, any morning, lick your finger, hold it up in the air, and decide based upon which way the wind blows that morning, as you can tell by the lick finger, what you should do that particular day. Owen, it's okay if the next day the wind blows in a different direction. I can't stomach that. I just can't get away in my heart to reconcile that as being okay. It just won't work. It just will not work. What else do we have today? Yeah, man, we've covered a lot of ground. But one person we haven't talked about today, Joe Biden. How can we go through an hour and 25 minutes and not have a plausible conversation about anything to do with Joe Biden? (laughs) I'm going to let Sky News take this question, take this segment, (laughs) and explain... Well, I don't even know if they can explain it, but they're going to let you uh, listen to Joe Biden once again make a fool of himself. I want to cover the United States where President Biden seems to be, believe it or not, getting worse. Yesterday, of course, was the anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks, and he made a fool of himself by claiming he was at ground zero the day after 9-11, despite his own book saying he was, in fact, in Washington, D.C. Have a listen. Each of us... Each of those precious lives stolen too soon when evil attacked. Ground Zero in New York, and I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could, from where you could stand. I bet all of you can tell me where you were the day of those attacks and probably every other day after it for a week. Then also we saw that press conference in Vietnam, Biden announcing to the media after it took some pretty faltering questions that he was off to go to bed. And these are just two examples in the last 48 hours. And it's not a surprise that it's impacting the polls. Key Democrats, we're told, are now in panic mode. His approval has fallen to around 42%. Meanwhile, Senate Minority Leader, this is the Republican Mitch McConnell, well, he's no better. He keeps freezing up in press conferences copying questions about his age and cognitive abilities as well. It's a mess. Joining me to discuss this and more, my international panel, of course, Sky News contributor Kosha Garda, former Labor MP Michael Danby. Uh, Kosha, I'll start with you. I mean, 
sexagenarian, octogenarian, uh, that's not an age issue for both of them. There's plenty of people that are top of the game in their 70s and 80s, but not these two. No, uh, not at all. And, you know, sadly, Peter, I feel, fear that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and, you know, I think just the, the reason for that, it's, it's many fold. Um, and I take no pleasure in looking at cognitive decline and physical decline that happens with the elderly. It's very sad on a human level. We've all seen somebody close to us probably go through it. Where this runs into a problem is there's this darker underbelly that comes attached to it where it, it certainly feels like uh, or at least gives the appearance that they're clinging to power and influence. And then if you dig into you know, the picture, we've all seen stories about how these people, both Biden and Mitch McConnell, who you cited, have served in government for half a century each on a pretty modest salary, but they're worth tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. People see that and kind of see that this is all about sort of clinging to power and serving that self-interest. And I'd also make a, a broader macro point that on some level in society, I think uh, the virtue of retirement or of gracefully bowing out is lost in all of this. And that's the sort of thing I think that rubs people the wrong way. But um, you see it. There's many, many people in the Senate with this profile. And sadly, I think uh, that is here to stay, at least for now. And just quickly, Coach, you talk, though, that they'll move on from Biden, but he's basically sitting there as a placeholder. Is that uh, likely? And who could they throw in the mix? Uh, that is the question. Um, the same names get floating, floated around, like Gavin Newsom, possibly, even though he indicated recently he probably will wait till 2028. Michelle Obama was back in the news as somebody who might come into the ring. Um, who knows? I, I do think there's consensus that they don't want Vice President Kamala Harris to come in, so it's probably going to be some sort of wild card um, if they decide to pull that lever. Every day. Now, these are our friends in Australia, Sky News. Every day, what you just heard is an example of what news media are telling their listeners around the world about our president and his disabilities. And you can't describe what he's dealing with any other way credibly than to call it a cognitive disability. This guy leaves, walks out of a stage at a press conference in Vietnam after the G20 summit. And the reason he's leaving, he said, I'm going to bed. Even if it's true. And I'm sure, that, I mean, when you go through time zones, if you haven't done it dramatically, it can really impact you. And if you're only going to be there for a few days, yeah, absolutely. And when you fly, even though you fly on Air Force One, there's only so much good sleep you can get. And being a, the president of the United States has got to be a whole lot tougher than sitting here doing a live show with you. <laughs> Sometimes that may not be true, but in this case, it, it, it usually is. How can we have, how could we have elected, and how could we consider re-electing a guy that lives in that world? We can't individually relate to that. We can't. We see it in some of our, even me, our parents. I'm 70. <laughs> I'm a grandparent. And by the way, I'm about to be a great-grandfather. Oh, my gosh. I am old. <laughs> but at least I've still got my cognitive ability in place 
And those around me, like Marianne, of course, she might question that. But nevertheless, you know what I'm talking about. This is not being nasty. This is not laughing at Joe Biden. This is being realistic and discussing what we the people are living through because of our president's inabilities, whatever they are. And it would be the same thing if it was Donald Trump or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, or Bush 43, even Bush 41. It doesn't matter who's there. If you're fit mentally and physically for the job, stay on the job. But if you're not, dadgummit, go to the house. You've deserved that because of the life you have given to the nation. Joe Biden served in the Senate for 50 years, eight years as vice president. You've earned it, Joe. Go to the house. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. You know, I'm not going to get deep into this thing, and I'm referring to lawlessness and uh, people in government who are allowing lawlessness to continue, who are not tackling it as their oaths of office required. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm finishing up the article I told you we're going to publish this week, which is basically talking about who really is attacking democracy the democracy in the United States. Who is it? How are they doing it? And what are the outcomes of it? We're going to get into that later in this week. But numbers are out, and I always like to give you real numbers. At least 215,908 
foreign nationals were apprehended or reported evading apprehension after illegally entering the southwest border in August. That's according to preliminary Border Patrol data. This includes at least 187,553 apprehensions, 28,355 gotaways. Now, in case you don't remember, gotaways is the official U.S. Border Patrol term that they use referring to the number of people known and reported to illegally enter the U.S. between the ports of entry who intentionally evaded capture and then don't return to Mexico. In other words, they got away, and they're still here. In August, the most gotaways were reported in the Tucson and Rio Grande Valley sectors, notably with most Yuma agents pulled out of the field to deal with an influx of people arriving at open areas of the border wall. Gotaway numbers reported by agents last month were very low, not because the numbers were low, but because there was nobody there to catch them. Border Patrol doesn't publicly report gotaway data. They just don't do it. This data was obtained by the center square from a U.S. Border Patrol agent who provided it on condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation. It only includes Border Patrol data, excludes Office of Field Operations data. Total numbers are higher, a lot higher. As of September the 5th, the preliminary data for August in the 9th Southwest border sectors include in Big Ben, 802, TBS, I'm not sure what that means, 31, Gotaway's Border Zone, known and recorded, 114, Unclassified Detection, 2, Gotaway Interior Zone, 36, Unclassified Detection, 2, Gotaways Interior Zone 36, no violations 15, deceased 1, outstanding 5, Del Rio Sector, apprehended 31,000, TBS 150, Gotaway Border Zone known and recorded 3,500, and the list just goes on and on and on with all the details. Now, why are you giving us this number stuff, Dan? I mean, we can read the paper and get it. Yeah, you can. But not always are you going to get factual information. Of top five stations who have the most foot traffic, three were in Texas. By volume, Eagle Pass, Texas had the most, followed by Ajo, Arizona, McAllen, and Rio Grande City, Texas, and Santa Teresa, New Mexico, just west of El Paso. The Eagle Pass station reported right at 24,000 apprehensions last month, followed by Ajo's 20,600, McAllen 17,000, Rio Grande City 15,000, Santa Teresa's 12,000. Combined, the busiest stations reported 12,000 gotaways. Apprehensions refer to those who illegally entered the nation and surrender are or caught by Border Patrol agents. Turnbacks refer to those, that's what the TBS was, turnbacks, refer to those who illegally enter but turn back to Mexico. 
The Gotaway data indicates where foreign nationals are detected illegally entering the U.S. at the Mexican border or farther north in the interior. Unclassifiable detection isn't part of 6 U.S. Code. That code specifies how encounters are to be reported. It means agents, for a range of reasons, could not determine citizenship. No violations are individuals deemed to have committed no infraction and don't affect gotaway statistics. That's according to the internal tracking system Border Patrol agents use. Now, please understand this, and I say this all the time, but I want everybody to understand it. There are a lot of people out there, even Republicans, conservatives, that they believe we need to revise the immigration laws and that we need to take care of a lot of these illegals that are coming in because of their need. I understand that. But in the United States of America, we have a process that those that we have elected that went to Washington, D.C. to work for us and our government, they agreed that when they got there, they would, they put their hands on a Bible, the other hand in the air and swore an oath, to protect and defend the United States Constitution. That means follow the laws and see to it that those who you're in government over also follow the duly passed laws. Now, we all know not every law is fair, not every law is just, and that there are different iterations that often fall between the cracks in the way laws are written and how they're enforced. Here's what this all stems from. Neil Gorsuch, you know who he is, Supreme Court Justice. When he was sitting before the Senate Judiciary Committee in his nomination process, he said something that just went straight to my heart. And he basically was pointing his fingers at the members of the Judiciary Committee. Every one of them up there, by the way, were attorneys themselves. But besides that, they're the ones that craft all the legislation that much of ends up going to be considered in courts of law after court filings happen. They go through appeals processes or whatever. They go through the process, and that's the way it's structured to be. But Gorsuch basically looked at each of these lawmakers and shook a finger at them, and not literally, but Theoretically, that's what he was doing when he said this. He said the problem that we have in the court system, and he was a uh, uh, a appeals judge for a big circuit out in Colorado, Neil Gorsuch. He said the problem we have, and it's across the nation, is all the laws that you legislators pass do not include the details that you used to discuss when you crafted each of these laws and approved each of these laws. You're not giving enough information so that we can honestly say down the road, one year, five years, 50 years, exactly what you meant when you passed each one of those laws. And he said, it's not fair for you guys to not finish your job 
And then when there's a controversy that comes up in a court hearing, in an appeal, in a second appeal, or even if it gets all the way to the Supreme Court, there's not enough information for the members of the court to determine what was going on in your mind when you crafted these laws that you voted on and they were signed into law. We in the court system, we have to abide and make our decisions based on facts that we can see in the text of laws that are passed. Now, that makes perfect sense to me. I would much rather have a judge rule on a law based upon the actual law rather than what this judge thinks some lawmaker meant when they said this or they said that instead of having to think it through and come up with an educated guess. And sadly, that's much of the way our court systems work. I would be remiss if I did not tell each of you listening, and I apologize for this. Steve Baker's not with us today. Uh, We've communicated almost daily. Steve and I talk all the time. He has been on the road across America, but he was hustling and is now back in Washington, D.C. You remember all of those videos from January 6th that Speaker Kevin McCarthy, when he became Speaker, he had total control over who got to see them. Steve was one of three journalists that was given unfettered access to go to the U.S. Capitol and go in their video room and sit there for many, many, many hours. There are 40,000 hours of video that are in that catalog at the Capitol to go through and pick out the ones that he sees as proving specific points about what was going on and what happened and all of the intentions and who were involved in all of the ongoing on that day, January 6th. And he he, uh, got two days, today and tomorrow, are the two days that he has to be in that room. So he was not able to be with us today. And let me just say this. He hates it because he loves coming on this show and visiting with you guys. You can only imagine what he'll have to tell us when he gets out of that room. In fact, if he wants to, we won't wait till next Tuesday. We'll bring him in second half of this week and he can tell us and we can talk about what he found and where that whole thing stands. You also probably know that he is now formally a correspondent, a January 6th correspondent for the, um, I just went blank, the Blaze Network. Gosh, can't believe I forgot that. And so you can see his stuff, and you can see him, by the way, on the Blaze, Glenn Beck and the, and the Blaze online. So check it out. Okay, I just got, just a second ago as we're talking, I got a news bulletin coming out of Congress. Let me look this up and read to you what it says. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy just moments ago announced a formal impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Just seconds ago, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy announces a formal impeachment inquiry 
into Joe Biden. Now, what's the difference between a formal impeachment inquiry and an impeachment? It's real simple. They yet don't have, at least in their opinion, they don't have solid evidence that is sufficient to formally begin the impeachment process against Joe Biden. They are positive that there is justification to do so. But obviously, opinions are opinions. Everybody's got one or two on every issue. Evidence is what they have to have before they can literally, they can do it otherwise. I mean, look what they, not Kevin McCarthy or Republicans, but look at what Democrats did to Donald Trump twice. He was impeached twice. No evidence to justify the impeachment, but they didn't do it to get rid of him. They did it to try to keep him from ever being able to come back to office, which is what this entire investigation about January 6th and Donald Trump is all about. And it's about Mar-a-Lago Gate and the document mishandling. Of course, they don't even consider the fact that Joe Biden did way worse regarding document handling, classified information and document handling, than than, uh, Donald Trump did. And there's a special counsel that was appointed to look into Biden's mishandling of classified documents. How's that investigation going? Oh, it's it's happening? You didn't even know it had started yet? I, I can't honestly tell you it has. I've not heard a peep from the special counsel that was appointed there. Compare that to Donald Trump in (laughs) Mar-a-Lago. None of it's fair. So here's what comes with the initiation of the uh, impeachment inquiry, why they're doing it. It gives them more power and more authority in subpoena power and classified, getting their hands on classified documents in a timely fashion, and compelling people to come forward and testify under oath rather than just ask them to. Hopefully, this will speed up the process of making determinations based on facts whether or not Joe Biden committed impeachable offenses. Now, Let me get you set and ready for what's about to happen. It's going to be a crazy, even crazier time in Washington, D.C. than what we're living in right now because every Democrat, every Democrat, there's not one Democrat that is going to come before the public and say, you know what, we need to do this. We need to go after Joe Biden. We need to find out if he really broke the law. They're just not going to do that. That's one thing about Democrats that I've always thought they get, and that is they look out for each other. Now, I don't believe there's any reasonable excuse to try to justify breaking any law, but I'm telling you, they pull together for each other. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not good. So it's happened. It's about to kick off. And Mike Johnson, who is going to be on that committee that does that, he's with us regularly. About every two weeks he comes back, and I'll let you know tomorrow uh, from his 
his media director, Corrine. I will let you know what day he's going to be with us. We already have Steve Smotherman that will be with us Friday morning. He is the pastor of the largest church in New Mexico, and he is a very conservative, very outspoken conservative regarding New Mexico politics, and he's going to be with us to talk about what this New Jersey governor has done at trying to uh, temporarily suspend the Second Amendment rights from the Constitution by Americans that live in her state. So we've got a full week coming up. A full week. Well, we're already into it. Two days, aren't we? Lots of things going on. I want to thank you for being a part of this. And we're not going away. We're going to pause for just a second. And we're going to finish up. What have I got to tell you about? I want to talk about the House Oversight Committee and what they are demanding now from the White House. You're probably going to be shocked to hear this. That's up next. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President Sorry. of the United States. Let me just get this. Hello. Hey. I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yes, I was. No, you were. That I will faithfully execute the office of President. <laughs> so, uh... What are you wearing? A president uh, of the United uh, States. <laughs> oh. Say, can I call you back? So help me God. No, so you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you. You hang up. So help me God. You hang Congratulations. up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless. Join in. Speaking the truth, the mainstream press will not. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Now this story will explain to you, or it will at least give us the footage that we need to explain to you about what really is an impeachment inquiry. The House Oversight Committee is demanding records from the time period when then-Vice President Biden successfully pressured Ukraine to fire that prosecutor, Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin, who was investigating the Ukrainian energy firm that employed the president's son, Hunter Biden. House Oversight wrote a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken yesterday requesting information about how its perception of Ukrainian Prosecutor General Shokin shifted in late 2015. What was going on then that caused this shift to happen as Joe Biden began threatening to withhold that $1 billion loan if Ukraine did not fire the prosecutor? At that time, you'll remember, Hunter was making more than $80,000 a month as a board member of Ukrainian energy firm Burisma, That's according to bank records. I already have the proof of that released in August by House Oversight. Let me read the the letter to you. I'll, I'll just give you part of it. 
The Committee on Oversight and Accountability is investigating President Biden's connections to certain international and domestic business transactions and practices, including his family and associates peddling influence to generate millions of dollars for the Biden family. The committee seeks information from the Department of State to provide context for certain sudden foreign policy changes that occurred while Joe Biden was vice president, particularly regarding to Ukraine, while then Vice President Biden's son served on the board of directors of a company being investigated for corruption. The committee requests information from the State Department regarding then Vice President's actions and decision relating to Ukraine. Now let me get to the next paragraph of this letter. The committee is investigating then Vice President's son, uh, excuse me, Vice President Biden and the Obama-Biden administration's official actions and policies regarding Ukraine. Specifically, the committee seeks information regarding the State Department's perception of the Ukrainian Office of the Prosecutor General at the time headed by Viktor Shokin. Prosecutor General Shokin assumed his position February 10th of 2015. He was elevated to lead the Office of the Prosecutor General in the midst of an ongoing international investigation that was focused on corruption surrounding Burisma and its founder, Mikola Zlochevsky. In March 2014, a French bank reported Zlochevsky to UK authorities on suspicion of money laundering after his companies tried to move $23 million to Cyprus from their British account at the bank. Hunter Biden joined Burisma in April 2014, paid approximately a million dollars a year. The committee wants to understand the State Department's sudden change in disposition towards the Ukrainian Office of the Prosecutor General in late 2015. That's the point I wanted to get to in reading this letter. A change, a sudden change by our State Department, the Obama-Biden State Department, our change in disposition towards the Ukrainian office of the Prosecutor General. Why is that? They loved Viktor Shokin. They loved him. They touted him. Who is they? People in our government. They thought he had cleaned up the corruption in their department. <laughs> and all of a sudden, things changed. Why do you think it changed? You know why it changed. Because of uh, Joe Biden going after Victor Shokin. Because Victor was looking at Burisma Holdings, who was paying Hunter Biden a million dollars a year, who knew nothing about natural gas. It's a wrap on the day. Thank you so much. And one more time, I want to apologize to you for that electronics glitch we had in our first hour. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. sharp, right here at TNN Live. Have a great day, folks. We love you. There aren't enough words to say when all I need is I no longer love you. I'd like to live in love.
you 